0: Undone um, is the word you keep bringing to my mind. Because when we behold, even in small part, like this morning already, a glimpse of your glory. It undoes our very souls. But it is from that place of our undoing that you step in. Cross of Jesus Christ that we find completion. And that is why we gather here this morning, Lord. We gather because you bring dead things to life. We gather because you are in the business of reconciliation and restoration. We gather because your glory is present in God's gathered people. So, Lord, I pray that has been prayed many times already this morning and has nourished my soul to the point, I just want to say amen and keep praying and singing, that you would continue to reveal your glory to us. Not because our lives are so great, but because you are. Lord, meet with us now that we might behold wonderful things about you from your word. Teach us that we would look more like Jesus. And it is in the fame of his name that we pray these things. And all God's people said. Amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles and open them up to Luke. Luke chapter 19. Yes, I know we will be in Lamentations, but I want to set the stage by starting in Luke. Um, I had planned something a little different this morning, but just as the Spirit was Um, moving in the room during our time of music and prayer. um, This is what the Lord put on my heart. So in Luke chapter 19, Matthew, Mark, Luke's third book of the Bible, of your New Testament, Luke chapter 19, um, we're, we're in our series, our Resurrection Season series. Believe it or not, Resurrection Sunday is only four weeks away, and we're starting this series that we're calling Let This Cup Pass, Learning to Lament in Light of the Gospel. And we will get to this scene at some point, I'm guessing, in this month. But it is Jesus entering into Jerusalem on his way to the cross. This is a week before the crucifixion. And it says in Luke 19, starting in verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things That little snippet that Luke gives us doesn't do justice to what Jesus was feeling. What is Jesus doing in this moment? He's lamenting. Our Savior, who knows the beginning and the end, as Scott prayed, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty One, is lamenting in this moment. So what is lament? Lament is feeling despair. It is feeling grief. It is feeling like you're being treated unfairly. It is a raw emotion. In a word, it would be grief or mourning. We don't use the word lamenting very much anymore. But guys, it is all over Scripture. Right? The next four weeks, we're going to be spending time talking about how do we, though, as God's people, learn to lament. Because what we've done, unfortunately, is we have... We have made lamenting, we've made mourning, something we don't want to talk about in the church in America. We want everything to be good and happy and joyful, and we'll talk more about that as we go along today. But here's the thing. Before I jump into the message, guys, I want to just step back for a minute, even though we've had just an amazing time of worship already, and give us space to worship a little bit. And what I mean by that is, guys, in case you haven't noticed, the world is broken. It is. And it's not getting fixed anytime soon until the Lord comes back. Politics is not going to fix it. The UN is not going to fix it. A vaccine is not going to fix it. But this year has been a hard year. And it's not just been a hard year for the world. It's been a hard year for some of you sitting right here. Guys, this has been a year that has felt a lot like loss. Do you know that today is the one year anniversary of our last time we were allowed to gather. We were gathering at a school. We got a call on a Thursday that, oh, by the way, Sunday, a year ago, this Sunday, is your last Sunday we're going to allow you to gather because of all that was going on in the world. And I don't blame them. Everybody in the world was backpedaling and trying to figure out what to do, including us. And for 10 weeks, we were not allowed to gather until we found this place and they let us come here at the end of May. Guys, I remember just how like, lonely and hollow, I felt. And my fear is that we have forgotten what that felt like already. And my hope is not to keep dragging us back to a year ago and, oh, how bad it was, but to be able to say, let's let that feeling motivate us forward. The lamenting that we felt in March and April and May, and even onward after that. Although we were able to together as a church, it's not like the light, it's not like the world got better all of a sudden. Many of you lost much. It may seem like a little thing, but when your sports season gets canceled and you've been looking forward to it all, it, that's a big thing. If you weren't able to graduate like a normal person, that's a big thing. And I just want to take a minute. And let you guys, you can write them. There's cards on your table, the little white cards. And you can bring them up on the cross if you want. Or you can just sit. And I'm just going to be silent for a minute. And I want you to just, whatever it is you think you've lost in the last year, I want you to collect it right now. And and give it to the Lord. Because that's what this message is about today. He wants it. So take a minute. Just breathe in. Breathe out. Forget about everything else that's going on. Search us, O God. Search us, O God, and know our. us and know our anxious thoughts. He says, I know. There's nothing you could be writing down right now There's nothing you could be thinking in your mind that he does not already know. So stop hiding it from him. Just give it to him. Point out things in our lives in the next few moments, Lord, that offend you, that that offend you and separate us from you in a very real practical sense because we haven't been willing to bring it all to you and lead us in your everlasting way, David tells us. For our good and for your glory alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, unfortunately, we have seen lamenting, mourning, grieving in our country as some sort of weakness spiritually. Like if someone is really sad, All of a sudden, we feel like, wait a minute, there's something wrong with you. You're a Christian. You're not supposed to be that way. And Jesus wept over it. (laughs) That pretty much ends that argument. But we have bifurcated, here's, here's, the, here's, why, here's why it's that way in the church. Here's why the church has made it all about, one, joy, happiness, the good life now, all this stuff sells much better than, hey, let's spend a few weeks talking about sorrow and lamenting, right? But two, it's because what we've done, and the, and the reason we've even bi- is we've bifurcated sorrow and joy. What I mean by that is we've separated out jo- sorrow and joy. We've separated out grief and just goodness. But here's the thing, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible does not separate those things out. What the Bible teaches us is that in our grief, we will see God's goodness. In our lamenting, we will find our joy. And in our joy, we will have times of lament. It's why you can go to a movie with your family, or whatever, and, and you can be in this great, and then this sad scene comes up, and you just, well, if you're like me, you just start sobbing, and it's, it's, and you feel good about it. You're like, that, that feels good. It is cleansing to be sorrowful. But we have, we have put a lot of pressure on each other inadvertently in the church to not allow ourselves to be that way. And, and that is not, and, and, what I, and one of the beautiful things I love about what God started doing in our church about three years ago, and certainly since we were able to regather on Pentecost on May 31st, is he's giving us the space to, to embrace that pain. To be open about, man, I am broken, I am hurting, I need help, I need prayer, let's go. This is a safe place to say, you know what? I'm a mess right now. And maybe even my mess is that I'm upset with the Lord. And again, I get a little ahead of myself. So before we actually even get into the message, you're going to have your table talk time. And your table talk time, if the question so your, your question is on your um, bulletin, and it says this. Because I, really I really want you to drive, because if, if these next few weeks are not going to make any sense unless you really buy into and own that we are unhealthy about how we see lamenting, mourning, grieving, whatever word you want to use. So look at what the tabletop question says. How do you think, feel, and respond to lament, sorrow, sadness, and grief? So whatever word you want to use for it, how do you think, feel, and respond? And I want you to have two discussions. Here's the first one. They're going to be quick. Here's the first one, is answer the question in light of how you deal with other people. So when somebody you know is hurting, when somebody you know has, is grieving, how do you tend to respond to them? And then, and then I'll tell you when. You're going to end that conversation. You're going to say, now how do you deal with your own baggage in those areas? So go. You're going to talk about how do you tend to come to people who you know are grieving and hurting. Go. Okay, so now sort of switch the conversation to how do you deal with your own pain, lament, sorrow? Okay, so just um, in the interest of time, I guess I would ask, like, um, does somebody have kind of a good summary at their table about how, how, what are some of the ways we tend to deal with people who are, sor- who are sad or sorrowful? What do we tend to do? What kinds of things do we do? You can just shout them out. Comfort them. Friendship. Pray, pray with them. What's that? grieve with them you guys are way more spiritually mature than I am apparently mark amen not not necessarily try to fix it but just try to be there with them right now now those are all wonderful answers but how many of us really do that like honestly like I mean if you do then you're then you're like you're you're in a great place spiritually. And I, and I praise the Lord that I get to shepherd such an awesome, mature group of people. Because I'll tell you that for me, my tendency up until fairly recently, what I was sharing with Frank up here in our time of sharing was, like my tendency was to try to just make them feel better as fast as possible. You know, it, depending on how how big an issue it was. And it wasn't until, for example, I got the call that Brent Mattingly had passed away and, we, and, and Carrie and I were the first people besides the police chief of the city of Peoria to go to their door and Connie Mattingly is just sitting on her floor sobbing and all I could think to do was go sit next to her and hold her for like 30 minutes because I had nothing I could say right that start that kind of stuff starts to teach you what it looks like to just grieve with people now how about yourselves how do we deal with our own junk how do we tend to so that's great maybe you're all really wonderful spiritually mature people how do you deal with your own pain could be worse. Yeah, somebody else has got it worse than I do. Right, good. That's a good one. Everybody's, why everybody's laughing? Yep, like, yep, me. What else? Withdrawal. That's, that's me, man. I'm like, don't hurt if you don't let it. Right? Just suppress. Withdraw. Pull away. Go into my cave, Carrie used to say. She's like, she knew when I was hurting, because I'd just be like, I'm going into my cave. Leave me alone for a few hours. I'll figure it out. Or days, she said. Wait, <laughs> right, we said... T- and, But here's why, guys. It's, beca- it's back to what I said a minute ago. It's because somehow we feel like hurting and broken is wrong. And, and in a very real sense, it is. Because God didn't make the world broken. This is what we've got to understand: that the world was made without suffering. With, there was, Adam and Eve did not lament. In chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. It wasn't until chapter 3 that all that entered the world. So in a sense, our desire to just see things be better is part of this innateness that we're made in God's image. But the reality is that the world is broken. And that means there is going to be hurt and pain. And books like Lamentations demonstrate to us that, that it's okay to deal with our junk this way. And that's why I felt led by the Lord to, to take us through the Book of Lamentations just in a couple weeks, and you, if you read today's reading like you were supposed to, you were probably like my family, one of my daughters like Dad. One, it's a lot of reading this morning, and two, it sure isn't very uplifting. And I'm like, I, I understand that. And next week's going to be the same way. But, but what we have to but I think, by the end of our time together today, you will have a much better appreciation for the Book of Lamentations. So Lamentations is if you haven't found it yet, it's in it's in your old testament. It's right after the big book of Jeremiah. The reason they place it there is because most scholars believe Jeremiah is the one who wrote it. It is not he does not it does not say who wrote it, but most people think it was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who lived in Jerusalem during the time of the Babylonian conquest. So they think the, the letter was written sometime either just before or just after the temple was destroyed. So if you if this is if you think back to your, or if, you, if you're starting to get familiar with your Old Testament map, and I had more copies printed, they're on the connect table. On your way out, you can grab one. But what, if, if you remember where we are right now in our D, in our D group readings? Is we're just kind of finishing up Deuteronomy. Joshua is going into the Promised Land. God's kingdom has started. But after a few hundred years the kingdom starts to dissolve it gets divided little by little the Assyrians come that was when we went through the book of Jonah and then and then pretty soon the Babylonians come that's when we went through the book of Daniel and then you have the Persians that come and and so it's this and that's who and that's who let Nehemiah the book we just finished last Sunday come back all that to say Jeremiah is a little bit before Nehemiah a little after Jonah And he is there watching the Babylonians literally chew up the city of God. And there's nothing anywhere, no no matter how bad 2020 was for you, it was nothing like what Jeremiah was experiencing. And if you read today's reading, you understand that. They were actually eating their own dead children to stay alive. Because the city was under siege. The Babylonians were cruel people, and little by little, they were conquering God's people, and they get to this point where they're surrounding Jerusalem, no water in or out, no food in or out, nothing. Until they get to the point, the last straw is when they actually destroy and chew up God's temple that had been built for 400 years. Solomon built it in 400 years earlier because they wanted the gold that, was, that had been placed onto the rocks the temple was built with. So when Jesus says no stone will be left unturned because the Romans do the same thing later, they're not kidding. Now, now what does that have to do with anything? Well, here, Nehemiah is living during an incredibly dark time. And assuming he's the one who wrote Lamentations, and I'm just from here on out, I'm going to assume that he is. He not only writes a book about lamenting, he writes it in a way that teaches us to lament. Here's what I mean by that. No, if you notice, how many verses are in chapter 1? No, not a lot. How many verses are in chapter 1? 22. How many verses are in chapter 2? How many verses are in chapter 4? How many verses are in chapter 5? 22. Guess how many letters there are in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. Because have you ever heard the phrase, like, like you want to know something about a topic? Here's here's everything you want to know about CPA accounting, Mark and Kim, from A to Z. Lamentations, those four chapters are written with the Hebrew alphabet. It is everything you want to know about how to be angry about your circumstances from Aleph to Tau. That's A, Aleph to Tau is the last of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Every one of those verses starts with a different letter. It is written as a poem or as a song. They probably sang it or read it in their gatherings when they could gather. and, And it was... So it's also all, because it's written that way, it really is a, it's a, it's a collection of almost semi-disjointed thoughts. Now you say, wait a minute, you skip chapter 3. How many verses are in chapter 3? What's 22 times 3? Guess what in chapter 3? Every third verse starts with the new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Here's the point. The point is, the Spirit of God moved on the prophet of God to say, I want you to give a, like, this is the, the any and every way you can experience lamenting in, in, a, in a way that would, that would bring some semblance of order. Now, here's what's interesting about it. It's also cyclical. The letter is written, like, over and over and over. We're going to see at the end of our study today, in chapter 3, is in a pretty good place. Then why read or why write chapters 4 and 5? Well, here's why. Because chapter 3, the, His mercies are new every morning, does not fix Jeremiah's reality. Just like this amazing time of prayer we just had. It's good for the soul. We all need it. We need to gather. We need to be together. We need to soak in the Spirit. It doesn't fix the reality of whatever maybe you may, you may be facing when you get back out there today. It, what it does do is it gives you a chance to have a different perspective about it. But chapters 4 and 5 you're going to see next week, are a whole lot more of what you just read in chapters 1 and 2. Here's the point, and this is all just an introduction. We haven't gotten to the message yet, so this is going to be an interesting day. But the way it's written, it's written in what's called a chiastic structure. In, in, in our way of thinking, the way we write, even in the way the, the Apostle Paul wrote, our, the, the main point of our arguments tend to be at the beginning of our statements or our paragraph or whatever it is, and the end. In Near Eastern writing, they would often write in a way that said, the main point that I'm writing about is not at the beginning or the end of my argument. It's in the middle. It's called a chiasm. So basically what he's saying is, here's chapter 1 and 2. The main argument is in chapter 3. Here's chapters 4 and 5. So guess what we're going to do next week, Lord willing. We're going to work backwards from chapter 5 to 4, back to the main point of the argument. So with that, with all that, is just... Sort of a background. We're going to look at today's message. So today's me- so today's message is: Where do you go when it all seems to be lost? Like, what are we supposed to do when everything in our world seems like it's supposed to be lost? And what we're going to see in this in this um, work of, of Nehemiah's today is, we're going to see the first point is we're going to rec- we got to recognize that God has reasons. Right? We, we have to remember that he is righteous, and then we have to rest in his faithfulness. But guys, and I know I'm already way, way beyond my introductory time, but I th- it's, I, 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 it's just so important for us to understand this. If we don't understand that, that brokenness and sin and pain are part of the program, It's not only that we're not really dealing with reality, we're missing God's point. Here's what I mean by that. If we don't embrace pain, if we don't embrace grieving, we don't really need the gospel. That's what I mean by lamenting in light of the gospel. Guys, sin stains. We're going to talk about how we're somebody prayed how we're washed white as snow by the blood of the lamb. But it also stings, and if we don't understand that 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 stinging of sin, of the brokenness in the world, is part of God's program, because it's what leads us into a desire for the Savior. If we don't come to grips with our own brokenness and the world's brokenness, what do we need Jesus for? But what the church has done is the church has said, let's skip all that brokenness talk and let's just get to best life now. Let's just win at life. Well, guys, if you're, if you're all about your best life now, guess what? This will be your best life. Our best life is not now, it's then. Guys, we, we, and and we, we, we will not get anything about lamenting and what Jeremiah is trying to tell us. And oh, by the way, what a third of the Psalms tell us. A third of the Psalms are what are called Psalms of lament. And they're for, it's because God wants us to see. Not just, oh, you're going to have hard times, so deal with them. It's in your hard times, you will see the beauty of my grace. That's the point. So let's look at recognizing that God has reasons. Okay, one more thing. Sorry. Again, so important. I mean, this is just such a critical thing because there, there are people in here, I won't look at like, like the prices, but not only, I mean, there, there are lots of people in here who have, who have undergone massive mourning and lamenting in recently. So what I'm about to say could, could sound harsh. All grieving, all mourning, all lamenting is on account of sin, Now, the reason that could sound harsh is because you say, wait a second, so you're trying to tell me the Price family is grieving because of their sin? I'm absolutely not. I'm saying what I said a minute ago. There was no grieving, lamenting, and mourning in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. That was an invention of the fall. Sean's mom was, was taken away through the sovereignty of God because we live in a broken world full of sin. And a drunk driver killed her. That is not their fault. However, there are some times when our grieving and mourning and lamenting is the cause of our own sin. So it's a both and. So let's pick it up in this first thing and look at, I recognize that he has reasons. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, How lonely sits the city that is full of people! How like a widow has she become! She, has, she was great among the nations. She was a princess among the provinces, but became a slave. So this is the same Jerusalem that Jesus wept over. What happened is they tore the Babylonians tore down the temple. Eventually God's people through, Nehemiah, through Ezra and Nehemiah, the books we just read, rebuilt the temple. King Herod during the time of Jesus expanded the temple and the temple Jesus is looking at as he's writing in and weeping over is gonna get torn down by the Romans. Five 400 years later, 587 years after this. She weeps bitterly in the night, verse 2, with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. So he's describing the fall of Jerusalem. He's, she's de- he's describing the pain that these people are going through. And he continues to go on through the rest of the verses. Jump down to, in the interest of time, just jump to verse 14. My transgressions were bound into a yoke, but his hand... By his hand they were fastened together, they were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. Guys, God will, and you can't read Lamentations and not appreciate, that God will sometimes cause, not just allow, cause suffering. Why? Because his interest is not our comfort, his interest is our conformity to christ And there are times when he will cause suffering to get our attention. That's a huge part of my testimony that I won't share right now. I have shared before. He will do what he needs to do to get the attention of his people. And in this particular case, unlike Job, in this particular case, that's what he's doing to God's people. He's saying, you have have chosen to wander from me. I will get your attention however I have to. And frankly, that is what he is doing in the world today. That is what happened in 2020, and it's what's going to continue to happen moving forward. God is shaking the world awake to those who will be awoken. Is awoken a word? Awakened? Awakened. I don't even know if that's a word either. But guys, we have to get that God sometimes—just turn, if you would. People just keep telling me not to worry about the time, so guess what? I'm not going to worry about the time. But turn to Isaiah—so if you have little kids— let them go run around outside or something. I don't know. Play, tell them to play in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> turn, turn to the left of where we are. Isaiah 45. Just a few. We're going to come right back to Lamentations. But guys, it, we have to get that, that suffering is not some out of control thing that God is like, Oh, I didn't. Remember, we say this a lot. God is never in the heavens going, I did not see that coming. He did not, on March, whatever it was last year, on our last Sunday gathering, he did not go, I did not know the school district was going to call you and kick you guys out. He absolutely knew. And we have to understand that. Look at chapter f- Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not even know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. What? See, we haven't sold that God in America very, long, very much in the last 40, 50 years. Used to sell him. Jonathan Edwards, Puritan, sinner in the hands of an angry God. God used that to start the First Great Awakening. He didn't say, you know, God's your best buddy and you can just call him, you know, your, your best friend and he can, yeah, he is all those things and he's also this one. I am the Lord who does these things. Guys, we have to be okay with a God like that because that is the God he is. And it's also why we have to know him well because if we don't know him well, then when we see stuff like that in the word or we have things happen in our lives that, that somebody says, yeah, but, but guys, we have to, you have to believe that God has purpose in this. You will stop trusting God. We, that's why we're doing the, this is why we're doing the D groups through the Old Testament story. Because you will see that reality of what I just read in Isaiah and what we're looking at in Lamentations. The reality that God will do what God needs to do to get his story told. That is what we'll see over and over and over in the Old Testament. But if you don't know him and you don't know his story, it's hard to make sense of any of it. So, back to Lamentations. Look at verse 18. The Lord is in the right. So here's, Nehemiah's getting a little clue here. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. Guys, understand that that is the turning point for any person who has ever truly come to faith in Christ. It is not until you get to a point, no matter what's going on in your life, in fact, even often often because of what's going on in your life, because of what God is pressing you into, and maybe he's putting you in a place where you have nowhere else to look but up, that you can say to him, but I am here, and it's because of me. I, I rebelled. We, again, we want to skip that. We just wanna, here's what we want to do. We want to sell Jesus as, you know what? You have a pretty good life. You're a, you are a really good person. Right? You're a good person. And God, and if you just, if you just come to faith in Christ and go, get, and go get dunked in our water and get baptized, you'll go from good to great. That might have been a good book for business. It is not God's story. It was a popular book a while back called Good to Great. God says, you are dead. You are stone cold dead in your sins. You are an enemy of God. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, when I was stone cold dead, made us alive. Guys, we got to preach not good to great, but dead to life. Thank you for amening, by the way. Not just, just because I love that, actually. Not because you're, you're not amening me. That's this the truth of God's word. That's what he just said. Right now, now look, at, look at in verse 20. He says, he says it again. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung out. It's not like he's... Remember, this is real and raw to Nehemiah. He had a much harder life than any of us have ever had. Because I have been... But he realizes it's because I have been very rebellious. So one, guys, one of the reasons that God does this sort of thing is because he's trying to get our attention. But as we read in our calling passage, there are no wasted tears with God. There are no wasted—how do we know that? Because David wrote in Psalm 56, the the passage R.J. just said, Have you not collected your tears in your—my tears in your bottle? Are they not written in your book? He sees everything you're going through. And whether we know it or not, he has purpose and plan in it. Jeff has prayed during the prayer time. God has the—and I have it written in my notes— God has the long view of life. When we're sitting there going, why are you doing this? What's going on? How come— all those questions. Because here's the thing. When we're in a place of lamenting, when we're a place of mourning, we may understand the sovereignty of God. We may embrace the sovereignty of God. We may even get that, okay, he's got a purpose and plan. We may we may come to, to um, Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good, for those who he calls, those whom he loves, those who he's called according to his purpose. And we may even try to convince ourselves and embrace that moment. But guys, if we don't understand that that ultimately... His purpose and plan isn't to fix necessarily where you're currently at, but it's to help you enter into glory, fully looking like Jesus, then we miss the point. But if, but, if we also, let me back up a step, if we also don't help each other with those times, because what we, guys, if all I do is, if all I did was go to the prices and say, Hey, Sean, you know God's sovereign right just trust him man come on it's okay come on let's keep going that is not helping them in that moment of grief because all of us when we have moments of grief there are what ifs like what if this had happened what if that had happened what if i had done this what what if i hadn't done that what if i it's just this constant wrestle in our minds of what ifs and if only If only I would've, if only they would've, if whatever that thing is, it could be something as tragic as losing your mom or your spouse. It could be something like confrontation and and between a married, married couple, but there's this constant what ifs, if only, and the only place we can turn to get those questions answered and help each other turn is back to the cross. We need the one who hung on the cross who was full of grace and truth. We need to remind our renew our minds with the truth of you know what here's here's what God's word says about it, and then oh by the way and here's the grace that will make it all right, and we have to help each other with that. So where do we go when, when it seems like all is lost? First, man, I just skipped a whole bunch of stuff, so I'm, I'm not going to I'm going to I'm just I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm just going to remind you of a couple of things because it's worth remembering. If you're taking notes. Write down Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 verses 5 through 13. It's a great discourse on God's discipline. Those he loves, he disciplines. Sometimes when God is trying to get your attention, it's because you you know you've messed up, and either you don't know it yet, or you're just not willing to quit it yet, and he will discipline you. And what the writer of Hebrews tells us is, if you are messing up, and you're not receiving the discipline of the Lord, you need to ask yourself whether you're really his or not, because he will discipline his children. But there are also times, like Job, Job is a righteous man, it says in verse 1, or chapter 1 of Job. And and God points him out to Satan. And God's like, go ahead and do what you need to do to Job. And it doesn't seem fair. And yet Job is like this, am- this amazing person who seems to get, at least for part of the time, he seems to get this idea that God will comfort me, and then I will be able to comfort others. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He comforts us in our times of affliction and lament so that we can comfort others. But why would God do this? Here, here's, the, here's the ultimate answer before we move on to the second and third point. And they do go much faster. Well, they're going to have to or we're going to be here till one. Second Corinthians 4. Here's why God does any of this. Remember, it's not our comfort. It's Christ's conformity. This moment, 2 Corinthians 4. This momentary light affliction is producing in you an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. For we look at the things that are seen, not at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal or transient. They will pass. All of this will pass. But the things that are unseen, the things that God sees, the things that he is doing in my life, in your life, in our lives, are gonna last forever. Why do I have that, those two verses memorized? Because I'm a pastor? No, because I needed them. And I've needed them And I've needed them, and I've needed them. You don't just lament, get over it, and move on. You lament, and you lament, and you lament, and hopefully the general progress is upward. (laughs) But I needed that soul nourishment. I need to remind myself... I don't just need to remind you. I need to remind me. This momentary light affliction is producing in you an eternal weight of glory. Man, if that's all you memorize, memorize it. I'm telling you what. It will help you fix your mind on things, of, things above. So, second point. We need to remember that he is righteous. So what do we do? One, we have to remember that he has reasons. Second, we have to remember that he is righteous. Just look at verses 4 and 5. He has bent his bow like an enemy. The he there is God, by the way. And his, with his right hand, he has set, he set it like a foe, and he has killed all those who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. I've already talked about the sovereignty of God. Guys, we can't, this is, we cannot treat the Old Testament God like, like some crazy uncle. Like, well, you know, Jesus was so gentle and caring and loving and all those other things. And, and that we, we don't really spend much time in the Old Testament because, man, there's a lot of stuff like what I just read there. Like, how do you explain that? Now, I, would I go there with an unbeliever right away? Like, hey, somebody who's like, you feel like is seeking the Lord? Would I turn to Lamentations 2, chapters 4, or chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and say, well, let me show you something about God? I probably wouldn't start there. But as believers, we need to recognize that. And I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to keep belaboring that point, but we have to be... Guys, and and here's, here's the other weird part about it. If you keep going on in the rest of chapter 2, we would look at that, and we, we are totally okay with everything written in there as long as it's about somebody we think deserves the punishment. We'd be like, yeah, get them, God. Get them. Here's the problem. We deserve the punishment. Right? All of us. And so we, we can't we can't just like we have to put ourselves into that space. Sometimes, like I said, we have to be brought low so that we can be brought up because here's the thing, that Job dude that was righteous, he did get to a place. When I taught through Job a few summers ago, the cold, dark night of the soul, we called it. Where Job wrote, this This is the, this is the verse that made me want to teach through Job. Job thirty twenty one. For you, talking about God, have become cruel to me. here's the thing. We have to be honest enough with ourselves and with God to be able to say that. Are we? Are we willing? It's it's why I wanted to start with bring your stuff to the Lord. He knows it anyway. Because if you're sitting here, Job was angry with God. But he didn't stay there. But you remember what God did? God showed Job God's glory. We, We think the story ends well because God restored all that he had taken away from Job at the end of the book of Job? That, that wasn't the blessing. You know what the blessing was? The blessing was when God showed up and went, you want to argue with me, Job? Put your big boy pants on and we're going to reason together. And then he spent the next, like, three chapters just exploding Job's mind with the glory of who God is. That's what we have to be wanting to embrace. Guys, okay, so this is not just an Old Testament thing. Jesus on the cross questioned God's motive. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he's quoting David in Psalm 22. And that's another place I was going to have you turn, but just take notes. Psalm 22 verses like 1 through 13. Read the wrestle that Jesus on the cross is probably rehearsing in his mind as he's getting ready to die. Because here's the wrestle. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my groanings or the, are, far from my thoughts or are the, are far from my deliverances are the words of my groaning. I cry by day, but you do not answer. I cry by night and have no rest. That's Psalm 22, one through one and two. Psalm 22, three. Yet you are holy. Yet in you are fathers entrusted. Yet in you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Yet you, and, then, and then within another couple of verses, David's right back to, but I'm a worm, and you're, and you're killing me, God. And then he's like, yet. And it's this constant wrestle of, why, Lord? Yet you are. Why, Lord? Yet you are. But here's the beautiful part that we see in David, and more importantly, in Christ on the cross. They took their junk to the Father. They didn't hide it from him. And we want to hide it from God. Guys, if you're angry with God, scream out to him. He's the only safe place you can. But here's what we do. This is what I do. I don't, I don't cry. I don't scream out to God because, man, I'm not really sure if I, you know, I don't really, man, he might smite me or, well, I don't know what it is. But I won't do it. So here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll suppress it. I'll put, you know, it's, it's okay. And then I'll kick my dog. And be mad at and be mad at my dog for I don't really kick my dog, Chloe. She's like, oh, uh-huh. I'll kick my dog. I'll be I'll be mad. At, I'll I'll speak harshly to Carrie. I'll be mad at the girls. I'll, we will put it. We will project our anger onto everybody else. We will we will we will medicate ourselves in all kinds of ways, whether that be substances or binge watching Netflix, so that we don't have to think about what we're mad about. But we because we will hide from God, guys. There's a book. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. It's probably the second best book outside of the Bible that I read in 2020. The first was Gentle and Lowly. Um, I'll talk about that at some other time. This this book, I gave it to um, Al Price. This book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, it's called, the, the subtitle is Discovering the Grace of Lament, is what flavored this whole little series that we're in right now. It is permission, biblically. It's full of scripture. It is permission biblically to be people who lament well and, and actually do it for the glory of God. So, first thing, so what do we do when it seems like all is lost? One, we have to remember that he has reasons. Two, we have to remember that he is righteous. And our third point, and this is, this is probably the part you were hoping we spend most of our time in, chapter 3, Woo! Right? we rest in his faithfulness. We rest in his faithfulness. Jeremiah spends the first whole section of chapter 3 dealing with his own struggles. Like, he's, he's sharing his own personal pain. And then look at verse 20. My soul continually remembers all of my pain, and it is bowed down before me. But then look at this. But then, look what happens. Verse 21. But this I call to mind, and, rem- and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end. That's probably the only part of Lamentations you've ever heard, and the only part you've memorized if you've memorized any part of Lamentations. It is certainly, remember I talked about that chiasm? It's certainly part of the central theme of the book. But here's what I want to, remember. well I'm just going to keep reading then I'll remind you of what I, re- I said earlier. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord is, is never ceases. His mercies are never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will have hope. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait for salvation from the Lord. But guys, understand this. this is what I, nothing in Nehemiah's reality changes after this. He writes all of this stuff to remind himself of it, but he still writes chapters 4 and 5. It's not like, it's not like all of a sudden when you're lamenting and you're, and you're taking your junk to the Lord, chapters 1 and 2, and then you go, but you are good, God. And I know you're good. And I know you love me. That all of a sudden you're going to walk out your door and your wife's going to love you again. Or your job's going to be okay again. Or your, or your mom is going to be standing there again. None of, that's, none of that changed in Jeremiah's reality. And it won't change in yours either. But it might change your perspective. And, grief, and, and part of why we keep going in this book, he keeps writing, is because grief is cyclical. And even the way he writes it, is in this way of reminding us that it is this, that, that lamenting is messy. It just is. Lamenting is messy. Because I want to read to you part of that book that I talked about, D- Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. And then I'll figure out what to cut out so we can go to communion. This is one of the, one of the things that was written in this book. It was a poem that was called Angry with God says, I told God that I was angry, and I thought he'd be surprised. I thought I kept the hostility quite cleverly disguised. I told the Lord I hate him. I told him that I hurt. I told him it isn't fair that he's treated me like dirt. I told God that I was angry, but I'm the one surprised. What I've known all along, he said, you finally realize at last you have admitted what is really in your heart. It's dishonesty, not anger, that's keeping us apart. Even when you hate me, I don't stop loving you. But before you can receive that love, you must admit what's true. And in telling me the anger you genuinely feel, it loses power over you, permitting you to heal. So I told God I was sorry and he's forgiven me. The truth that I was angry has finally set me free. As the music team comes up, I'm just going to finish reading a little part of chapter 3 and we'll go into our time of response. I want you to think about those words and, and just and what Nehemiah has been saying here. It says in starting in verse 27 It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when he is when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there that there may yet be hope. And let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let it be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth. To deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High or subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and bad come forth. Because okay, so we're often too quick to rush to this place in Lamentations where we go, God is sovereign. He's, he's in control. And oh, by the way, His mercies are new every morning. What we have to... And, and so, 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 just, so just buck up. Get over it. right? Like, come on. You be joyful. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be full of joy all the time. Happy. Rainbows and unicorns. We need to to give ourselves and each other permission to lean into this kind of space. Why? Because Christ did. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that your word tells us that we are to weep with those who weep. And rejoice with those who rejoice. Because that's what Christ did. And I thank you that that no matter what is going on in the here and now. In this broken, burdening world. Your grace is sufficient. Your power is perfected in those moments in our weaknesses. And Lord, I thank you that you're a God that that by your very word invites us into real, raw relationship. We don't have to have the right words. We just need to bring what we got. And then we need to give it to you. And then we need to recognize that we're going to have to give it to you again and again and again. Because the world is still broken, and so are we. But God, rich in mercy.